This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. And now we have a treat for sports fans everywhere. It's really important that professional athletes learn what uh, to say and how to deliver their message. We've got a great first half. Make sure you keep the ball doing the work. We're still looking to get it in the wide areas. First of all, it's the correct stadium design, but also the correct pitch construction. And that clash, that rivalry comes together with that traditional white blocked against that more modern contemporary neon colour. All these events live on the programme. We'll continue to do our best to cover sport in the way that you like, backed up by our highly professional team. Grandstand starts now on BFM 89.9. Hey, thanks for joining me. It is our very last episode of Grandstand for this season. I've had so much fun doing it. Uh, I'm Ross, by the way. Yeah, as I say, thanks for joining me. Our, our last show today is well, going to be a special show. It's a show dedicated, it's a, dedicated to a special friend of ours. Ours, mine, the, everybody who knows him. Uh, Bob Holmes is the guest this week. Author, football guest, pundit. Welcome to the show, Bob. Thanks for having me, Ross. It's a pleasure. Now, Bob has a book out. It's the follow-up to Living a Dream, which we all talked about last season. Actually, funnily enough, on Grandstand as well. Uh, the new book is Shanks, Yanks and Jürgen. Football fans will know instantly it is about Liverpool Football Club. Um, so I'm going to start with Bob. Bob, why, as a Nottingham Forest fan, uh, perfectly good subject there. <laughs> why, why choose Liverpool first? Well, I did Forest in the uh, Living the Dream, the, the previous book, but in a chapter. A li- yes. Yeah, exactly. A little well, segment. Uh, well, there's 20,000 words on Forest. <laughs> um, but this is a direct result of that book. Um, initially, I was going to do a follow-up and the theme was going to be owners. But with that book not selling as well as I thought, mm-hmm. it's a, uh, a multiple club book and it, uh, it seems as if fans don't want to read about other clubs. And even 20,000 words isn't so enough. So you thought you'd narrow it so down. So I'd get it down to two clubs in <laughs> Malaysia and you know, everyone knows who they are. And, and n- nobody wants to read about the Glaciers, Bob, let's face it. Exactly. Well, even two years ago when I conceived of this idea, you could see which way the wind was blowing. So I did Liverpool. Fair enough. That's fair, fair enough. I mean, I, I, I grew up, I'm, I'm nearly Bob's age, just a bit younger. So I, when I grew up, Liverpool were the dominant team. I, I mean, they were winning the first division, the league. They, they were European champions. They were dining at the top table. Now, Bob, your book, I understand what, 12 chapters, the first 12 chapters you've dedicated to to. to Shankly, Bill Shankly. Uh, yeah, pretty pretty much 12 chapters. And then his voice is heard uh, throughout most of the rest of the chapters. So yeah. let's take the listeners back now and let, let, let's set the scene for them. Bill Shankly joined Liverpool, what? It was 1960s Liverpool. Liverpool was a buzzing city. It was, what, the Beatles, music, clothes were great. Everyone was riding around in scooters. Yeah, absolutely. It was reckoned to be the most happening city in the world back then. You had Beatlemania and you had Shankly starting out on his epic uh, journey with Liverpool, creating the modern Liverpool. Because when he took over in late 1959, they were a shambles. 
Where, and where, these were his words. Were they, were they mid-table then? They were lower mid-table in the second division, oh, what wow. would now be the championship. Okay. So Absolute shambles. The toilets didn't flush. <laughs> they couldn't water the pitch. And when he went to the training ground, his first comment was, he was in such a state, his first comment was, it looks as if the Germans have been over. <laughs> now, this is 12 years. Re- referring to the 14, war. 14 years after the end of the Second World War, and it didn't look as if it had been repaired. That was the training ground. So he had a mammoth task, but he set about it in his inimitable way. And, but not after an early uh, threat to resign and the amazing thing or is... Was it because of the toilet? No, no. Um, because of everything. and But mainly because they wouldn't give him any money for new players. And he was talked out of resigning by none other than the Manchester United manager, Matt Busby. Wow. It, it remains to this day the biggest favour that Man United has ever done <laughs> Liverpool. So there you go. Not many people know that, probably. Um, so how did how did this 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 Scotsman come and and get the whole city listening to him, believing in him? It was his incredible personality. Um, he uh, he was not an educated man. He said that himself. He said, working class. Yep, absolute working class. He they said, all, uh, Alex Ferguson was like, they, yep. all, they all come from that ilk. Yep, yeah. Well, there are th- three of the greatest managers in British football history are actually uh, from th- uh, within 30 miles of each other. Wow. Um, Shankly, Busby and Jock Steen. And they, they all came from coal fields. They all went down the mine. Shankly went down the mine at 14 and... You know, he came. He came out with his with his face blackened with coal dust, and um, that was the life. If you couldn't play football, you were condemned to a life down the pit, <laughs> and you'd probably end up with uh, silicosis and uh, and all that, and die an early death. And football was the way out. So they played football morning, noon, and night. Even the headmaster of the local school encouraged them to play. Shankly had four older brothers and he, encouraged him to play. Now, he was quite good. I, I, I read in your book that um, career cut short by, by World War II. Yep, yep. He played for Scotland. I mean, he was a top player. Uh-huh. Uh, not, not world class, but he was a very, very good player. And he was robbed of his prime by World War II. And uh, he just went in um, the force. He joined up. Um, but he wasn't sent abroad or anything. And football did carry on during the war. Mm. And he, they, you know, just to keep people happy. And uh, they, the clubs picked up players who were posted with the forces who happened to be nearby. So he played for Arsenal. He played for Cardiff. He played for Partick Thistle. Wow. You know, I mean, um, and that was quite normal. Mm. I mean, these games were unofficial. They're not recognised, really. And, but, and, of course, in those days, they weren't paid. Anything. No, no, absolutely not. Yeah. I mean, he, I think his wage when he was uh, working down the colliery, he was on uh, what he called half a crown uh, a week or something. I mean, it's, compare it's two to, or three ringgit, that's all. Compare that to Gareth Bale's hourly rate. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I mean, well, I do, I do do quite a bit of that actually in the book. There's a lot of comparison between the poverty of Shankly's uh, youth mm. um, up, upbringing. He lived in a, a cottage, a miner's cottage, 
he was one of ten children, and there was no running water, no electricity, outside toilet. Everything was shared. Um, incredibly, abject poverty it was. And he managed to uh, come out of that, and he said, I had no education, so I had to use my brains. And with that background and his footballing background, he built Liverpool. And to this day, I mean, Liverpool, obviously the uh, six times European champions, one of the greatest teams in the world. But the foundations were laid by this man. Mm. No question about it. So how long was it before he, uh, when he first came over, they were in the second division, he was complaining at toilets and, and then Matt Busby talked him out of it. How long after that went before he won his first title? Well, he, he took a couple of years to get them out of the second division. And um, they, they uh, managed that. And then they came up and they think they came a, a fairly solid eighth in the first uh, division uh, after that. And then the following season, he won the title. And he, he was buying players, building up steadily. And they were like £30,000 in those days was a big amount yeah. for a player. Yeah. And rather similar to Klopp, he built the spine of the team. And his version of uh, uh, Virgil van Dijk, a tall centre-half, was Ron Yates, of, uh, who came from uh, Dundee United. And he was, he was a, a unit. Scottish international. And he was actually only six feet two tall. But Shankly bigged him up, you know, he talked. He invited the press to come in and walk around him. And, of course, this got massive publicity, all this kind of stuff. And, um, you know, that's how he built Liverpool up. He, yeah. he built them into something. They, they weren't great at all to begin yeah. with. But with this constant barrage of uh, publicity and bigging up people, bigging up everybody and the fans, he... he formed this incredible uh, phenomenon that Liverpool were with the crowd and everything in those days. And, and he was great for a quote or two. I mean, obviously, um, a lot of people would have heard of, of the, the, the very famous quote, uh, which is probably the most famous one, which is, uh, football uh, is about life and death? No, it's more important than that. Yeah. Or, or something like that. Absolutely. That, that was... Uh, that, that was the quote. That's the quote. And that was supposed to be a throwaway line. <laughs> and he said it with a smile on his face. So he, di he didn't really mean it, you know. But, I mean, it's, uh, it's caught on uh, massively. Um, but there, there are plenty more where that came from, I can tell you. Um, I mean, he, he had the... He, he was poorly educated. But he was almost a genius for finding the right phrase do, do at reckon, the right time. Do you reckon back in those days, I mean, not only do you have to have the work ethic and you have to know how everything works, you also had to do your own PR. And with someone like Bill Shankly, he was perfect for the job, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, absolutely. The, the marriage of Bill Shankly and Liverpool was when the stars were aligned. It was perfect for both of them. Yeah. He'd been looking for a team with, in a big city with a passionate crowd. And he had played at Anfield in the second division for Preston. And he knew how passionate the fans were. And he used to say, um, when the, at corners, the cop 
would frighten the ball. <laughs> Actually, he wasn't kidding. Then. He wasn't. No. And he knew uh, Liverpool was a sleeping giant. Yeah. So he, when he got the job, he, he, you know, he thought this, this is it. And once Busby had told him to carry on, you know, he, he was uh, uh, in heaven. And he, he lasted 15 years. Can I just give you an example? I think this is um, probably the best uh, team talk. George Best put it in his book. And it was about Manchester United. Shankly loved Best, by the way. And um, how he would rubbish the opposition just before kickoff. Yeah. And he went through the team. Like the goalkeeper, Alex Stepney, England international. But according to Shankly, rubbish. Hands like Teflon, can't hold a ball. Um, right back shape Brennan, slow on the turn, leaves at 20 past three, doesn't get back into position till 10 to four. He goes through the team like that. Uh, Paddy Crerand, uh, interna- Scottish international, great player for United. He said, slower than steam rising off a dog turd. But the best is still to come. Uh, he got through. Uh, got up to the forward line and Emlyn Hughes said well this is alright boss but you haven't mentioned George Best Bobby Charlton and Dennis Law uh-huh. Shankly snapped back you mean to say we can't beat a team with only three men in it oh I t- what would Shankly say about Smalling Jones and Rojo <laughs> <laughs> it, it would be worth listening to. It would be worth listening to. Listen, we're going for our, our first short break. This is a little insight into Bob Holmes's new book, Shanks, Yanks, and Jurgen. When we come back, we're going to talk about the American part of Liverpool FC. That is next. More grandstand coming right up on BFM 89.9. Best Flipping Moments, BFM 89.9, The Business Station. This is Grandstand on BFM 89.9. And we are back. Thanks for joining me, Ross. This week, Bob Holmes is in the house. Incidentally, our our football shows will be back uh, next week. Yeah, 9th. 9th of August, it all kicks off. Funnily enough, with a Liverpool game. And Bob Holmes will be live there as well. Uh, but Bob is here because of his new book, Shanks, Yanks and Jürgen. Now, Bob, uh, when the Americans came into Liverpool FC, it was all joy and, and well, everyone hoped that it would be. But then it was... It was uh, hi- uh, Hillet and Hicks, Hicks, Hicks and, and Gillette. Gillette. Hicks and Gillette. Yeah. And um, I remember as a United fan, wow, thinking, re- feeling really, really sorry at that time for Liverpool because they weren't good for the club, were they? They weren't. They didn't know it at the time. But uh, not long afterwards, it turned out that um, at, a, at an England camp, Rio Ferdinand told Jamie Carragher that the Glazers were desperate for Hicks and Gillette to take over Liverpool because they knew how dodgy they were. Wow. Yeah. Um, how, how much, can you remember the amount? What, the, what did they pay yeah, for Liverpool? how much Liverpool? did they pay for Liverpool? It was only a, a 400, uh, about 400 million altogether. Which is the um, price of Newcastle today. Yeah, yeah. Uh, three, uh, sorry, 300. And then um, they, they had to put down money for the ground. And the reason this happened 
was because the owner of Liverpool, David Moores, who was the nephew of the guy that started the Littlewoods Pools uh, uh, situation, um, he, although he was the owner of the Pools, I mean, people used to dream about winning the Pools. He were an instant millionaire. Now, this is the guy that owns the Pools, and he didn't have enough money. to. <laughs> the for, irony, yeah, eh? This is after Roman Abramovich had come in, you see. So, I mean, he, he was not in Roman Abramovich's league. So he was looking for another guy like that. And he set his sights on um, Sheikh Maktoum of uh, Dubai, uh, Dubai uh, International Corporation. And he thought he would be the one. Mm-hmm. But uh, when uh, he and uh, Rick Parry went over to, to see him, uh, he stood them up, and the guy went for a gallop instead. So they they got uh, they were a bit miffed about that, and Gillette was uh, courting them. Gillette w- was owning the Montreal Canadian high, uh, ice hockey team, mm. and he was he tried to buy Villa, and uh, but didn't have the money, and he he wanted a Premier League club. And uh, so he was sniffing around and he invited them over there. They got treated a lot better. And when um, the Dubai, when it was clear that Dubai didn't really want to do an Abramovich, they, they were just in for the business side and they wanted to sell Liverpool. They wanted to buy it and build a stadium and, yeah. then, and then sell it quickly at a profit. In, in their typical fashion, yeah. Yeah, so it, it uh, turned um, Moors towards the Americans. And when Gillette came back with Tom Hicks in tow, he was a big Texan and he was richer than Gillette, he thought he had the right couple because he also owned a, a franchise, baseball franchise uh, in Texas. On paper, it looked great. It did. It did. And they started off okay. I mean, they, they were carried, believe it or not, they, Hicks and Gillette were carried shoulder high through the center of Liverpool after Liverpool beat Barcelona oh my goodness in the, in the Champions League so I mean you, you forget this I mean these these were hated guys deservedly hated yeah. in the end but I mean that's how they started off mm. they promised the stadium they said there'd be a spade in the ground within 60 days and this and the other guy. I, I, I remember seeing that the, uh, the, the, the papers were it was all futuristic stadium right yeah yeah and they they did take uh, the cop um, they embraced the uh, the cop they had a stadium design. It was very, very intimidating looking. Mm-hmm. And they had a single tier cop which rose steeply. And everybody was in favor. And Stephen Gerrard said, I can't wait to lead Liverpool out in, in this stadium in front of the crowd. You know, there's going to be 70,000. And there was all this optimism because, but the spade never got in the ground. No. The financial crisis hit. And it hit them badly because they were leverage buyout merchants. And Moores had asked them or demanded that uh, they build two things. They build the stadium and they um, don't heap debt on the club. Mm. And they promised faithfully, well, they didn't build a stadium and they put debt on the club. They didn't use their own money. And they, um, Liverpool found that out too late and... Uh, then uh, by then they were sliding. They'd won. They won the Champions League. They got to the final again two years later. Hicks and Gillette were there that game, but they lost uh, to uh, AC Milan in mm-hmm. that one. Mm-hmm. And then there was a slide. I mean, they, they had Torres. They bought Torres, and that was a brief glimmer under Rafa. It looked as if they could win the league one year, but it didn't quite happen. 
and then the crisis hit. Do you reckon it, it would have changed for, for Hicks and Gillett if, if Rafa had won the league for them? Um, it, it might have done initially, but it was the, it was the financial crisis that did it. And so they, they were want, hit. So they wanted out. They wanted out, and then we discovered, everyone discovered, that um, they hadn't used their own money. And the debt was against the club. So the club was actually owing the bank 300 million, which the, is quite a lot in those days. The Glazers said, hold my beer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so how did it go from one set of Americans to another set of Americans? Wouldn't you have been warned off a little bit? Well, exactly. Um, I mean, there were protests. and I, I get the title, actually, from partly from one of these. I mean, there were the most popular banner at the time was... Shanks built it, Yanks broke it. So you've got Shanks and Yanks there, you see. But then when... Hey, that rhymes. When FSG came in, you see, and then it turned out to be the good Yanks. You can't, you can't have the Yanks portrayed as solely bad, no, can no. you? The good and bad in yeah. this situation. So the title had to be changed slightly, and then Jürgen. And I, that's what they call him, Jürgen. Jürgen. Um, in Germany, they call him Kloppo. But it's, it's Jürgen. So I thought Shanks, Yanks and Jürgen might work, you know. Okay, so tell us a little bit about the, the FSG, how, how they came in. And, and, and it must have been sceptical at first. Oh, absolutely. Right? I mean, there was a protest uh, movement to get rid of Hicks uh, and Gillette, of course. The, I, I remember some yeah, of that, yeah. yeah. And, uh, of course, they call themselves the Spirit of Shanks. That's right. Uh, they were like a union, and they're still today. They're still there, still strong, and still looking after the interests of the fans. And this is why I think this is a people, still a people's club mm. to some extent. So uh, these uh, new guys came in. Peter Lim from Singapore yep. also tried to buy and al almost matched their bid. But the directors decided that uh, the fact that FSG owned the Boston Red Sox uh, you know, a proven sports franchise. They'd rebuilt the stadium, rebuilt the club, and ended the curse of 87 years of mm -hmm. not winning the World Series. Mm -hmm. And they thought that that tipped it towards them. But they didn't know anything about football. And here's a quote. I start off one chapter when um, John Henry, who's... These are gle very clever fellows, by the way. Yeah. They made money yeah. in, the, in the financial crisis of 2008. And John Henry said... Liverpool were a mystery to me. I knew virtually nothing about English football. And he's taking over, you see. At least he called it football. Well, he was honest. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, Tom Werner, who's, who's the chairman now, he, he actually made it worse by saying, well, I didn't know any, anything about English football apart from Manchester United. Oh. So it wasn't a promising start. It, no, no. <laughs> but but it, it, did, it did go well. It did. Slow start. Um, they, they dithered a bit. Uh, they, they learned about the game. They actually took journalists out to lunch to find out about the, the rules, basically, and the inner workings of uh, Liverpool and, the, and fans. And They took supporters, the secretaries of supporters clubs, out to lunch and picked their brains. And so they approached it very business-minded. They, they like. did. They did. And uh, which is what they've done with uh, Boston. Boston how, I guess that's how successful businessmen and, and, yeah. and work, you, right? you can't fault them for their, you know, they did their homework. They were honest about their ignorance of the game. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, so then they decided to, rather than build a new stadium, which is going to cost a bomb, they would. They liked Anfield and they liked the cop and all that, and they didn't. They didn't want to leave. And the history there. Yeah, and they they said, um, no. Why should we leave this stadium? We'll we'll improve it. And the, yet the fans had settled for a new stadium. It's amazing, really. Not that many admit it now, but the poll in the local paper showed that about 85% of Liverpool fans were in favour of leaving Anfield. Mm. And it took these Americans who knew nothing about <laughs> it to decide to stay there. Again, funny old world, isn't it? Isn't it? It's full of irony, this story. So when, when they came in, who, who was the manager then? And, and what, was the, what was the level Liverpool well, were Well, the at? first manager was Roy Hodgson. Right, exactly. And really, I mean, you could He couldn't... was loathed by the fans. Yes, yeah. he was the antithesis of Shankly. I mean, he he's a nice guy and, you know, he's been reasonably successful, like at Crystal Palace exactly. and Fulham and places yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. Um, Cynical people he, will say at his level. Yeah, but he was, um, he was too reasonable by half. I mean, he said, uh, Alex Ferguson uh, criticised Liverpool, Torres, I think, once. And uh, instead of defending Torres, which is with a natural instinct, what you want a manager to do, um, he said, well, no, no, Ferguson's entitled to his opinion. And this sort of thing, he was, far, oh, he just didn't get it. You just didn't do it. No, no, no. 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 Um, okay, so after, I, I forget who came in after Hodgson. Uh, Dalglish. Yeah, of course, yeah. In, interim. Yeah, well, interim, they thought he was interim. And, he yeah, did a good job. He did a great job. And then job. they gave him the job, yeah. yeah. But then he, he had to quit after a while. Yeah. He, uh, he was over Suarez, I think it was the final nail in the coffin, um, that T-shirt protest thing, you know. And uh, he, he'd not quite had the, um, the Midas touch that he'd had before. Mm -hmm. But that was 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And when he was player manager, he he'd actually did better and then he, then he became manager. Uh, <clears throat> he, was, uh, he was pretty good then. I mean, he won yeah. he did doubles and everything, he, didn't yeah. he? He, he? He maintained the success. Um, but as an older man, and having been out of the game for a while, um, I think he'd lost his touch a bit. And the owners didn't, you know, he wasn't their man. They wanted their own guy. Um, so he didn't last that long. And they didn't manage to win a couple of trophies. They won the League Cup and uh, th uh, the FA Cup, I think they won. Um, but, I mean, they don't count for... Or anything. I mean, they weren't successful in the Champions League or the league, which is what really matters. So um, FSG um, got rid of uh, Kenny and appointed Brendan Rodgers. Um, now they they had a few successful years with, uh, under Brendan Rodgers. He nearly won them the title. Well, he did, didn't he? Yeah, he, he, very yeah. nearly as well. Yeah, un unbelievably uh, bad. Down to luck. one slip. One slip. One slip. Literally. Hen yeah, hence the subtitle. Yeah, the slip. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, unfortunate. I mean, it was a sensational season. Uh, Suarez was was the man, um, the the inspiration, uh, but he had missed the first six games because of uh, suspension. Um, I mean, he spent quite a lot of time being suspended, if you remember. Mm. Um, and, For uh, one thing or another. One thing or yeah, another. Exactly. And he, um, but he galvanised Liverpool, and even Sturridge played his part that season, if you remember. And Raheem Sterling had, had just emerged. So that attack 
they called it SAS, but it was actually three S's, wasn't it, with Sterling. They were unstoppable. And they really had the title sewn up, but for the Gerard slip. For the Gerard slip. It was, it was unfortunate. And that, yeah, that, we all know about that. So, Brendan Rogers, uh, what, made it to f- 4th October 2015. That's when they dismissed him. And we're going to take a little break here. When we come back, we're going to start talking about the Jurgen Klopp era of Liverpool FC. We are talking about Bob's new book, Shanks, Yanks and Jurgen. And we'll be back right after this. A view of sports from every angle. This is Grandstand. Brainy, fancy material. BFM 89.9. Sit back, talk sports, and play ball. This is Grandstand. Hey, thanks for sticking with us. Uh, Final part of the final episode of Grandstand for the season. Bob Holmes is here, author of Shanks, Yanks and Jürgen. It's uh, a brand new book about Liverpool Football Club and it's it's very interesting. We, we heard all about uh, Bill Shankly and how he came and basically made Liverpool what they are today and then Liverpool fell into American ownership which went into American ownership <laughs> and, and, and a whole host of managers. Now, we've got right up to to Brendan Rodgers' end before the break at 2015. And that's when FSG did their homework, Bob, and they brought in a, a young German who was managing at Borussia Dortmund. Yeah, absolutely. They did their homework. And another, uh, I'm, not, I'm not twisting the knife for United here, but another missed opportunity. Ed Woodward had already gone to see Klopp, but messed it up. And Klopp was willing to listen. The money was there, of course. And uh, you'd think, well, how could Woodward possibly not get him, not get his man? And uh, he Now, just, actually, roll forward to yeah. today, we know. Yeah, well, he, <laughs> he just over-egged it. He said, uh, oh, he said, at United, you can do anything. He said, we've got the, all the money in the world. He said, it's like Disneyland. And Klopp thought, hang on a minute. It, it, that would turn anyone off, let's face it, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, anyone else, a football man, would have sold you. You don't really have a lot of trouble selling Manchester United. I mean, mostly you sell them on Law, Best and Charlton or Cantona. I mean, these people, gigs, you know, and he sold it on Mickey Mouse. Well, Man United's loss was Liverpool's big gain because when, when Klopp came, um, it, it was, you. I mean... I, I'm a fan of another club, and you get the feeling that a real football man had joined the right club. Yeah, yeah, and there are similarities between Borussia Dortmund and Liverpool. Absolutely. I mean, they're blue-collar cities. They sing the same song. Yeah, in industrial uh, cities, um, they, uh, they've got their yellow wall, which is their answer to the cop. That's some impressive wall. Though. Yeah, yeah, and Klopp had... Built rather like Shankly, had not spent huge money, but had bought astutely, bought players that he thought he could improve and, and put in youngsters. And let's not forget, he was constantly having to, to sell players to, to Bayern Munich, yeah. who were just picking off his best players every season. Yeah, I, in the end, I think that uh, that did it. Well, that, that probably did do him in the end, but yeah. Klopp did win a title. Yeah, he, he won. He won. Uh, won it twice. Yeah, uh, Bundesliga twice. Yeah, and then and, and narrowly lost in the final of the Champions League. So I mean, he he'd done the, 
the business. And um, so they, they identified him as the man they wanted. And, and they got him. And uh, he, uh, when there's a, there's a quote here from, uh, from a German player about Klopp, which, if I can find it in, the, in this book, um, yes, this is what uh, Mario Basler said about him. Remember okay. Basler? German international. international. Yeah. yeah, he said, he's the white Barack Obama. Both are bearers of hope, both are idols. At Dortmund, they're so fired up that him cleaning his glasses in a semi-competent manner brings out cheers on the South Stand. Now, one of the things Jurgen Klopp did bring to, to English football, and it was very visible to, to anybody who, who followed football, was his style of football, which was the way Dortmund played, which was the gegenpressing. Yeah. Now, yeah. it started well, but... Eventually, you do run out of steam because it is a full-on style of football. Maybe something the English at the start weren't quite equipped to do. Well, um, I think it was the fact that he didn't quite have the quality of players. Um, Good point. And uh, his uh, his style, as I said, he, it means he prefers not to pay big money. He wants but, pe people who will work yeah, hard. Yeah, but he, but they they have a very good system in place now at uh, Liverpool. Unlike United, who seem scattergun, as you well know, it seems that Ed Woodward's whims and they don't always coincide with a the manager. Um, they uh, Liverpool uh, identify these players and they watch them, um, you know, and they, they've got all the stats and everything, and they identified. Van Dyke as the man for the the uh, who's going to be their their pivot um, in uh, defence, and they messed it up the first time, but they got him eventually. And although he's still the world's most expensive defender, but what a difference that guy has made! Absolutely, I mean he's looking at possibly being the Ballon d'Or winner this but year. But th this is a this was a manager who went there, and and we all as football fans just went right. They just need a central a defender, yeah. a really good defender, and a keeper, and a keeper, and they got them both, and they got them both. Yeah, big money, but hey, it's got them to the Champions League final. Second by a point last season to Man City, record-breaking second second place points. Never again will will ever be achieved. Um, does this Liverpool side, you reckon, Klopp now? Do they need a title within the next two three seasons? Yeah, uh, yes, they do. Of course, they they need the uh, the English Premier League title, don't they? Um, and uh, that would cap it. I mean, it, it was very important in the end that they, they won the Champions League. I mean, all, all last season they were saying, oh, no, the Premier League is what we really want, you know. We haven't won it for nearly 30 years and, you know, we've won the Champions League five times. They're almost spoiled in so, the competition. Yeah, aren't they? But in the end, having narrowly missed out on that, they had to win the Champions League. So they, they did in the end. Um, but the coming back to the, the actual book here, um, what was noticeable were the similarities with um, Shankly. I mean, Klopp was born 54 years after Shankly yeah. was born. Um, and a totally different era, different nationality, and all that. But there are similarities in the way he deals with the players and the fans. And it's not just me saying this. I've asked some ex-players, and I asked Bill Shankly's grandson about this. And I managed to speak to him. Mm -hmm. He's a part owner of the Shankly Hotel 
in oh. the centre of Liverpool. Okay. And great guy, he's got a Scouse, real Scouse accent. I mean, <laughs> it sounds funny because you somehow think he would be Scottish. Scottish, but yeah. He's Scouse. And uh, he's, he's a great guy. He gave me 45 minutes on the phone with answered every question I put to him. And I've given him a chapter so in the Shank- book. So Shankly, like Klopp then, uh, their, their secret to success is, is openness to the fans, to the players... You get them working harder. Everybody believes more. It's yeah. not rocket science. Is it's it? not. It's not. And I remember in the early days when uh, Klopp was actually criticised for, uh, I think they drew two-two with West Brom mm-hmm. at home, and he lined the players up in front of oh, the cop. Oh, that's right. You yeah, remember yeah, that? Yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah. think you were the one they, they, that they, criticised him. No. <laughs> one of many. Anyway, maybe. Yeah. it started. It started that. Yes, with with the team that got relegated. That's right. Um, yeah, a laughing stock in some quarters. But that started this rapport with the cop, and the relationship, and that's that's what Shankly did, and he built on that. I'm I'm sure that Klopp read all the books about Shankly, and even politically, you know, he is similar. Mm. I mean, he's never really come out and said what he would do, but he said what he wouldn't do. And that is, he'd never vote for a party that would increase income tax for the lower classes. So you know, you know where he's coming from. Where he's coming from, totally. And Shankly was, of course, a famous socialist uh, with a small s. And uh, yes, they they are uh, in line. And and Shankly's grandson agreed with me. Brilliant. Brilliant. Now, now you, you've also spoken to, to some, some big fans uh, in, in writing this book. Uh, uh, Malaysian fans who, who try... <laughs> I know there are loads every year who make their, what they call the pilgrimage to Anfield to, to watch a home game or two. And, and you've spoken to a few of those. Yeah, I well, have. Right? They're in the book. Um, there's, a, there's a few of them. There's a, mi- a mixed uh, crowd here. Uh, there's one guy. I gave him a whole chapter because his story about Istanbul... It is really something to behold. He must have forty-five <laughs> minutes of horror. He must have thought, "What did I do?" Absolutely, yeah. and how much it cost him as how well. <laughs> and they were even worried whether they'd get in because the tickets hadn't arrived. You know, all all that's in there. Um, and other guys have described how they saved up. One uh, saved up for about twenty-five years for a trip to Anfield, and finally did it. Um, and then there's even. Uh, an 80-something-year-old who was at the um, teacher training college in Kirby, Kirby, uh, which they set up before Malaysia got independence so that the country would have enough teachers to, you know, for the schools when when the Brits left, you see. And they set up this, and it happened to be in Liverpool, and they didn't know what to do on weekends, so they went to watch Liverpool. (laughs) And he's, he's 86 or something now, and he's still a fan, and his son and his grandkids and all that. There's massive Liverpool fans. That is actually a really heartwarming story. So all this is in Bob's brand new book, Shanks, Yangs and Jürgen. Now, it's out this month. Uh, uh, in Well, uh, August it's out, early yep. August. Yep. Um, yeah, it should be in the shops uh, now. It's certainly in one shop, uh, Garrett Badaya, who printed it. Um, that's on um, Jalan... Uh, two stroke eleven, Jalen Bookit. Mm-hmm. Uh, two stroke eleven in PJ, 
It's just off the loop, the PJ loop. Well, uh, otherwise, uh, w- when it's actually out, you can always direct message uh, BFM Football on Facebook with details, uh, how many copies you'd like to order from Bob, and we can pass it on to Bob. That is not a problem. So, Bob, what's your next book going to be about? Do you well, know already? Um, yeah, I've got one on a Malaysian golfer um, just about to start. Um and uh, I was thinking of doing a book on United, but they've got to improve a bit first. Yeah, yeah. I, unless it's this Solskjaer era will bring something. Um, yeah. That, but listen, it's been great. I mean, I, I'm a, everybody knows I'm a Manchester United fan, but I, I'd like to think I'm a football fan first and foremost. And it's been really interesting. I grew up in the shadow of Liverpool FC. My brother and I support clubs directly opposing Liverpool FC as a mark of respect to how great they were at the time. (laughs) That's the way I'm looking at it. So, Bob, best of luck with your new book. Thanks. Uh, Um, It's been a pleasure. We're going to give them away on on, uh, BFM Football when we return uh, on On the Ball and Off the Ball Friday and Monday. And we're going to come up with a question, aren't we, Bob? Yeah, yeah, we are. And I'll try and sign as many copies as I can, as long as people give me their names, of course. Brilliant stuff. All right, that's it. Uh, That wraps up this season's uh, Grandstand. Listen, all our shows, past and present, you can find at www.bfm.my. Search Grandstand and and download as many times as you want. I'm done for the season. I'll be back next week with the gang talking about football. For now, we say thank you very much, Bob Holmes. Thanks, everyone. And thank you guys for listening throughout the season. Bye now. Tune in next week for more Grandstand on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.